Hi, I'm your host, Susan Nay. Welcome to the podcast series, HR Inside Out. It's a series designed to help you demystify HR and the human resource processes. We're going to talk about people management and get the goods on and see how all this stuff works. You're going to hear from everyday heroes and get their perspectives as we touch on a wide variety of topics, topics that impact us in our work and in our work environments. You'll find nuggets for your treasure chest of learning. Hopefully you'll discover insights for your personal and your professional growth. I'm glad you're here. I suspect it's because you want to be the very best version of yourself, your personal best, and that you get understanding these systems and processes will help you on your journey, on your path. You ready to dare to soar? Want to join me at flight school? Let's do this. Thanks for joining me today. Hi. Welcome to the podcast, HR Inside Out. I'm your host, Susan Nay, and it's my delight to introduce you to today's guest, Alistair Moose of Moose Anger Management. Awesome. Glad to be here. Thank you for saying yes. I'm going to start with a little bit about you, if that's okay, and, and your organization, and some of the stuff that you do with, with your team. So you're an international anger management expert and an author. You've been working with people worldwide since 1989 um, as an anger management specialist, and you've been in private practice since 1995. You indicate on your internet you've worked with people with enormous challenges in the world, uh, from high-performance business leaders, gold medal-winning Olympic and professional athletes, to people that are close to homeless, as you share Anger is indeed an equal opportunity emotion. It's something that we all struggle with. What I loved is that you've developed a manner of working which is respectful, solution-focused, and based on both academic theory and extensive experience. And the experience includes working with trauma and historic abuse in a manner that honors each person and allows for deep healing. That's really important, and it, it certainly caught my attention. You also indicate on your inter your your website that you've worked with thousands of people who have made the call out of a desire to create change. And although you've facilitated court-ordered solutions, you primarily work now with self-referred clients, and that includes those sent from the workplace, um, strongly encouraged by a partner, perhaps, um, or unfortunately, sometimes uh, referred by a lawyer. Your approach focuses on the gifts and the potential of each person. And in this manner, the good that's present in an individual is attended to, as are the challenges that face each person. Again, I think that's really important. And also that you have extensive experience working with what's behind a person's anger. And so those are the pains, the sadness, the hurt, fear, anxiety, shame, and often the trauma the things that are what leads to someone reacting disproportionately to events. And we've certainly seen that in workplaces. You share on your website, it is only when this is examined with compassion and deep respect that a person can alter their response to the triggers that happen in their lives. And also to learn to relate to the emotional reactions that have led them astray. Uh, you share that you have been humbled and inspired by the many people that have taken the courage to actually take on this type of investigation. 
you present workshops to diverse groups from police to teachers, Canada Revenue Agency, uh, unions and therapists for professional development. And you also provide counseling for parents with an extensive focus on dads. We're gonna get to that a little bit later in the podcast. You've developed and facilitated parenting groups for dads. You've co-facilitated parenting together groups for couples. And during one of your interviews on the CKNW, you spoke about the importance of being very aware of the memories that we as parents create with our children. And again, more about this later for our listeners, because I'm, I'm intrigued on that one. Not surprised, but intrigued. Very, very impressive. Thank you. Thank you. Now, you and I worked together a number of years ago now. Um, I was working for a local government employer and was faced with a situation that uh, the traditional methods of working to correct an employee's behavior were just not working. The individual had a significant challenge containing his anger and he was on a really slippery slope to losing his employment. And I I can't remember who it was, but bless them. uh, Someone suggested that I reach out and talk to you. And I did. Uh, We got this individual working with you and it worked. And even better, um, months, might even been years later, this individual arrived in the my door at the same organization and said, I, I want to talk to you. And he thanked me. He said, thank you so very, very much for doing what you did. For, you know, I wasn't happy about being sent to work with, with Alistair. But as we all know, Such behaviors are frequently presenting in other aspects of our lives, and in this case, his relationship with his family, and particularly his daughter. And he, I remember him telling me, he said, you literally saved my relationship with my daughter. Um, And I've since left that organization, but I understand that this gentleman went on to a very successful career with many promotions, and the work that you did with him um, stayed with him and was no no longer presented as a a challenge. You must see and hear uh, so much in the work that you do. Any similar stories that you can share uh, about how someone's turned their life around for our listeners? Well, you know, it's uh, often people will call me and say, well, you know, what's your success rate? And, And I end up, responding that their success is completely dependent on the person that shows up. And often people like the gentleman you're talking about may have showed up the first session and had their arms crossed and their legs crossed and furrowed brow. But usually by the end of that first session, whether they're attending a group or doing it individually, the person recognizes, oh, nobody's giving me a hard time here. Nobody's blaming or judging me. And there's actually a lot of really helpful information so so that I understand why I overreact and, and what's behind that. And so when people show up with an openness and the people that are really closed, I just think of them as that they're not ready to look at this and they tend not to show up. So... When people do show up, I mean, we, you know, and, and, and this is regardless of the person's situation, 
what what helps, of course, is if they have uh, family connections. If they have people around them, that's going to make a big difference. If they're really alone uh, and they have no friends and no family connections, it's a lot harder. But, uh, you know, I have a guy recently that I work with, and even though things didn't work out great with his ex-wife, um, he end, ended up he ends up feeling like that he's carrying himself through life with a lot more dignity, less shame. And the same thing in the workplace, he's ended up getting a, a series of promotions because he's not reacting, he's not holding all sorts of resentment in, in meetings. He's able to see the, the bigger picture. And, and really, I think um, the example you give and, and this guy is that they're more connected to who they are. Like it's more true to themselves when they react like that. It's usually connected with their history, with their family history. And when they're acting with more maturity, I think of them as more in alignment with their heart, their ability to, to access their intelligence, think things through, and their connection with their body, their intuition, their gut feeling. And so when people take the time to go through this, they often pause more, think things through more. And I just see them as becoming more in alignment with who they are, rather than that reactive, stressed out person that, that showed up. That makes sense. It, it does. And, and especially since you had shared that uh, you've been very forthcoming about your own situation, that these weren't necessarily skills that you were taught um, when you were growing up. Um, I suspect that many of us, many, many of the listeners, including myself, grew up learning to be seen but not heard. Uh, mm -hmm. I can hear my father clearly saying, you know, if you don't quit crying, I'm going to give you something to cry about. And mm -hmm. so you're right. Many of us have not been taught the skills to to deal with unreleased emotions. Um, and, you know, just again, how do you counter for, for many individuals, many decades of this prior conditioning and, and the development of these triggers? Generations. I can go back generations and um, and know that things just weren't spoken out loud about. And, and if things don't get spoken out loud about the difficult things, then nothing can ever be resolved. Or they build up so much that they're spoken out loud about them, but in a way that's really aggressive and uh, intimidating and yelling. And, and, of course, then nothing really gets resolved either. And then, at least in my family, then the next day, everybody just pretends like nothing happened. Which as a kid, I mean, two thumbs up for that. I thought this was great. But then when I became an adult and, you know, I did things that were wrong um, and people would hold me accountable, I was aghast. It was like, what are you doing? You're not supposed to talk about this. It took me many years to figure out, oh, you are supposed to talk about these things because that's the only way to resolve them. And so this isn't about blaming parents. 
This is not about being a victim. It's about, and, and it's, it's also not about um, regressing into our past. This is about how we hold the past in our body, in our nervous system today and taking responsibility for that, right? That, that tightening up in the chest, the change in the breathing, the feeling like it's the end of the world when, you know, it's not actually the end of the world, but, you know, somebody brings something up and starts talking about something and you feel all this in, in your body. And some people will then just go into trying to make everything fine and everybody just get along because they can't handle or really their body can't handle conflict. Mm -hmm. They don't know what to do. And because of what happens in their body, it feels like they go into fight or flight. And so there's all sorts of practices that we can do so that they gently and compassionately get to know what happens in their body, what happens in their head, so that they can sort of step back from it and witness that, observe it. And the more they get to know these things within themselves um, with curiosity, um, then they're less run by those things in the past. And, and you know, wiser, because when you get to know those things in yourself more, you can see them more in others. And I, ideally have compassion for others. So in the first session of our groups, I spend 25 minutes at least going through just the physiology of what happens when our body goes into fight or flight and all the, I mean, many, many physiological changes take place. Hundreds of chemical changes take place in the body. But, you know, as we escalate at the peak afterwards and when we go into a depression, typically after we sort of get our feet back on the ground. And when people, uh, when that first two hour session is over from the group, the, the homework is, okay, so over the next week, notice yourself when you escalate mm. and, and notice all these things we've talked about, but notice them in other people without judgment, just notice with curiosity. You're just observing over the next week and see what happens. And almost everybody comes back and says, well, things actually went better over the last week. And it's only because they're putting that effort in and they're practicing stepping back and noticing, mm -hmm. and trying to be aware of their judgment so that they're not run by their judgment. I mean, we're going to judge, but we don't have to react to it. And, yeah. yeah, and then, you know, that's that's a big first step. Interesting. I, I, I've been triggered by something myself recently and caught myself feeling inside my body. And, and it, it just that moment, but just taking that moment is like, oh, there it is. And just mm -hmm. kind of taking it out and looking at it. And it's like, I don't need to feel this way. So, uh, yeah, that makes so much sense. Oh. Well, and so part of what we end up doing is asking the person, oh, okay, well, when you felt that, where where did you feel it? And you had to point to it. And often it's right in the middle of the chest. 
sometimes in the solar plexus, sometimes in the, the belly, but it can be in the throat, all sorts of different places, but often right in the middle of the chest. Feels like a constriction. Maybe it, 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 it affects your breathing most often. Sometimes people feel it in their heart. And I'll just ask more questions. Is there a shape to it? Is there an image that comes to mind there? Is there a weight? Is there a pressure? And this is just getting to know what's going on in our physiology, right? There's no judgment. There's no right or wrong. It's just this is uniquely yours. And it's really like the more aware you are of it, then it just it shows up. It's, it's less likely just, you know, because many people like me grew up just learning to disconnect or numb from the body. And if the body gets too stressed out, uh, you know, use alcohol, right? So <laughs> those were sort of the lessons. But really, it's about facing it rather than trying to push it down. And the more aware we are of it, it's like, well, this is what happens in my body. This is what happens in my physiology. And I can probably go back generations. And there's people that felt the same things, except I want to really get to know this and own it, maybe discover when it started in me, if any particular memories are profound about that. Um, and, you know, notice it in other family members. Um, and, and if I notice when, when it first really showed up, then we can work with that and figure out, okay, well, what did you need in that moment mm. that you, that you weren't, you know, you had needs that weren't met. You didn't get the guidance that would have been helpful, but mm -hmm. you can give yourself that guidance right now yeah. in this moment such as what you were talking about, which is, oh, here's this thing in my chest. It's like, okay, actually, everything is okay. I mean, maybe not perfect by any stretch, but I'm not actually in danger. Yeah. And, uh, and often it helps to remember, oh, and I love this person, or I love myself enough that I don't have to let myself get carried away with this. And there's all sorts of different things we can do to bring it back down so that we carry our, ourselves through our life with intelligence and maturity uh, rather than uh, rather than it's like we leave the little kid running the show who has a temper tantrum, breaks out, and then afterwards we feel ashamed of ourselves. And we certainly, the example I gave was somebody whose emotion just got the best of them. Yeah, it, it just mm -hmm. came out in an explosion. But just as you're talking, I'm thinking that that probably that not dealing with what's happening inside your body has has got to uh, create health challenges over the years. You know, you you alluded to alcohol uh, that can become a an easy crutch that can get out of control really quickly. But I'm also thinking ulcers. Um, you know, you see some of the uh, illnesses that are are you know showing up in in people's bodies. Uh, over the years and you wonder whether oh, this is a contributor. So some of the some of the illnesses that that show up when we act our anger out when we get too angry and it turns into aggression a lot of the time 
Um, that'll affect both our immune system and our heart. So people put themselves at greater risk for heart attack, stroke, um, heart disease. Now, the other side, which is people that just hold it in, like um, men are more likely to have learned to express their anger outwardly. Whereas women are often more likely to have learned just, just to pretend like everything's fine, which many men learn too, but uh, women especially get training in our society at large, at least, if not at home, just to be, you know, to never get angry. Like that anger is, is wrong, it's, it's bad, and it's not part of what you should ever do. And when that happens, we're more likely to get ulcers, uh, irritable bowel syndrome, or things like fibromyalgia or other other in, in, internal illnesses that are really hard to put a finger on. Like it's like, well, what's all what you know? What's going on with this? And people don't know what to do with it. Often there's an emotional component to it. It doesn't mean that's the only part of it. But often, if people just deal with the physiology, they're not going to resolve it because there's there's a whole bunch of emotional stuff behind it. There's often trauma behind it. And when people actually connect with their anger and learn to express it in a way that is healthy, then often those symptoms start to subside. Um, and, and we have a, a women's group called Healing Anger. And I'm going to get into some of the diving a bit deeper into that a little bit further on the podcast. But just before we do that, I want to, um, boy, you're just with all your sharing, it's making me realize how incredibly important it is for us to be doing this better as individuals, as organizations. Uh, but before we, we get into some of um, uh, some of the other areas, you had noted about the importance of being aware of the memories that parents create with their children. Now on the surface, that makes sense, but the fact that you actually stated that on your website, you must be seeing something that um, is of a concern to you. Those children become employees. <laughs> mm -hmm. Certainly as an HR professional, I've seen what was likely a symptom of some of those memories. Um, can you tell us a little bit more? So, when part of what what we do is we always have people come up with goals and, and they come up with one specific goal and it's interpersonal it's a smart goal which a lot of people in business are familiar with those and uh and the idea uh, that is is to come up with something and and each person comes up with their own goal but a lot of the time the goal is just to pause and think it through or to pause and listen. So one guy who was um, a salesman, he was in sales and he had the gift of the gab or so he thought anyway, and he would interrupt and speak over and finish people's sentences, including other people in his family. And he came up with the, the goal that he called the three second rule. And the three second rule uh, is, is that he would take the time to listen to his partner 
and give her the experience of being fully heard and seen and valued uh, and loved. And rather than after the first three to five words out of her mouth, and then jumping to a whole bunch of conclusions, you would actually take the time to hear everything and then formulate a response. And so, so I say all this because this is accessing our intelligence and our heart and just taking our time, being aware of what's happening in our body, the part of us that wants to interrupt, not ignoring that, but being aware and saying, you know, it's like we have that internal conversation. Whereas if we think about the memories we're going to create, we're thinking 10, maybe even 20 years from now. And when we do that, we're really connecting to a bigger picture. And whenever people react poorly, there's no big picture. They're just seeing red. The emotions have taken them over. They're feeling all this stuff in their body. And if they practice doing things like the three second rule or, you know, what's, you know, what am I teaching my children right now? What is the lesson that they're learning from my behavior? Because it doesn't matter what parents say, all that really matters is how they act. And so if they can stop and think that through, what are my actions? What are the memories when I think, uh, you know, when they think back in five, 10, 15 years or more, what was their memory of when dad walked in the door at the end of the day after work? What was the memory when he came in and saw that the place was a mess? Um, or, or, or what have you, or, or the mom too, right? It's not just men. Um, yeah. You know, it's like, what's, what's that about? Uh, what's it like when, uh, you know, he or she picked me up from daycare and drove me home, right? When, when I pick up the kids from daycare, I learned that I needed to bring a snack with me because otherwise I'd have two hungry kids, uh, in, in, in the backseat who would end up arguing and, and, potentially leading me to yelling at them. And it's like, okay, okay, this is not what I want to you mm -hmm. know, create for the future. Well, bring something for them to eat and, you know, and, and, and whatever else, maybe have something in the car for them to occupy themselves with while they're going from daycare to home so that they're not occupying themselves with, you know, giving each other a hard time because they're feeling hungry and there may be a stress because of the transition from daycare or even if just one of them is stressed, then it gets taken up in both of them. And then I can carry all that stress in, and that becomes their memories. Even if they're really young, the memories end up staying in the body. Even if there's no intellectual memory, um, this is that this is this becomes normal for them. Mm -hmm. Whichever direction I go, that mm -hmm. becomes the norm. That's what that's that's what they learn. And so I wanted them to learn not me at my worst. <laughs> mm -hmm. I wanted them to learn, okay, be thoughtful, think things through, 
and you know and and, and I taught them how to apologize to each other. But while you're teaching, you're teaching, you're learning yourself and teaching good habits that they will then yeah. pass on to their children um, and and have more positive memories. So that, um, that's the plan. And, yeah. 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 No, those are that's excellent. And whether it's children, children or just the other people that we interact with in our life, it's the same thing, you know, getting yes. to know our work teams and how people present and, and um, yeah, including that. Yeah, they might be hungry or tired or have something that's happened at home and just learning how to mitigate that with them. Um, I'm going to go to an interview you did with Michael Gregory. And for our mm -hmm. listeners, this is on Alistair's website, and I'll put the website information in the podcast show notes. Um, you talked about, you've often, you've talked a little bit about guys, um, although it also uh, relates to women as well, but well, guys often feel alone that the man culture has been about not talking to people about things, especially feelings, and how unhealthy that is. Uh, we've already talked about how the body holds the tension. Um, other tools, you know, as we learn, um, whether it's men or women, um, about starting to learn better uh, catching ourselves as we're feeling this stuff, recognizing that it's having an impact on in, inside and outside. Uh, you talked about the pause, the power of the pause and stepping back, uh, of recognizing, paying attention through the week. Uh, any other tips about how encouraging everybody to be more cognizant of how they're feeling and and taking the time to, to deal with that? So... So a lot of this is about getting to know ourselves better. And we do one, you know, session three in the group. We start off by reviewing um, what's in in our, our book, Lose Your Temper, um, which is uh, one of the lessons that men learn growing up about what it means to be a man. And, and women learn these about what men are supposed to be as well and vice versa for, for women. But often men grow up learning these lessons that they're not supposed to ask for help. That's a sign of being a failure. They're not to show emotions, except for maybe anger. Whereas women learn the opposite, that they're allowed to show emotions except for anger, right? So there's the opposite there. Um, and so men learn all these lessons about what it means to be a man. And, and I asked them all of this for, you know, many, many years. And then I would draw a box around, you know, and, and many men would, would say things, oh, well, to be a man means to be a fighter, a drinker, but also just to know things, to be the leader. And I, and I hear this sometimes and people having their podcasts about, masculinity that you know you're supposed to be a leader and i'm like well how can all men be leaders <laughs> doesn't make any sense at all i mean sometimes we can be a leader in certain situations if that's our area of expertise for instance but it makes a lot more sense that we're part of a team that we're 
connected with other people in a community and that we can't possibly all be leaders. It's absurd. So we need to be aware of these messages that we carry in our bodies about what it means to be a man. So for instance, when the unemployment rate in the U.S. goes up 1%, the mortality rate goes up 4 or 5%. The uh, incarceration rate goes up substantially because men learn when they're growing up that they're supposed to make money, be successful, and that if they don't have a job, that they're a loser, right? Failure, shame. And not all of these men, of course, end up, you know, doing bad things. But there's always part of us that feels the shame and part of us that can be even inspired and motivated to, to get a better job, to get more training, to do the right thing for our family. But there's another part in us that, that collapses or wants to go and drink or drug or gamble or run away, whatever that is. We all have both in us. And so for a significant enough percentage, when that unemployment rate goes up 1%. They don't feel like they're being a man. So they drink and they do all these things that take them away. And then the overall health and families go down and more people die. So the more aware we are of these messages that we learned growing up, such as don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. right? And fortunately, men and women are more open to talking about these things now. So when I go back to the 90s, when I, I used to talk with groups of men, I'd ask them about what makes up communication. And they'd go on and on for like pages of me filling up a chip flip chart about how to communicate, how to talk to people, that you can do it through email, through phone, through you know, your tone of voice and all these kind of things. And eventually I'd say, which isn't something I usually go down. I'd say, hey, you're missing something. And eventually somebody would say, oh, listening. <laughs> <laughs> but after about the year 2000, the first, the first five things that Ben would say, usually two of them would be about listening or active listening or that uh, communication is uh, dynamic or, you know, there, there, there's feedback. And so things have shifted. And now when I ask people about a destructive response to anger, a lot of men actually talk about fear and anxiety. Whereas back in the 90s, men would rarely acknowledge their fear or anxiety. And so people overall are becoming more open we have a long way to go but we're headed in a, in a in a good direction i think that's that's wonderful news and it makes me think about a podcast i did with steve cervic uh firefighter um and the ptsd within fire and rescue yeah. services and the work he's been doing at encouraging, like just seeing the impact of, of individuals and, you know, 
seeing just yeah. traumatic stuff in yep. their line of work and not being able unwilling to reach out and get the help that they need i was talking to nice. some, someone who's a psychologist and she said most of her clients are actually people in the protective services who um, have come you know are, are starting to realize that they have to do something because of the impact that some of the stuff is having so it's it's coming but it's 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 i, I think still particularly tough for men yeah, it's tougher for men because because of the training that that we get. And uh, and I was running one group and we had three firefighters and none of them knew each other. <laughs> that that was that was unusual. But we get lots of uh, first responders for sure, and nurses and doctors and I mean people that see a lot of trauma. And and they don't learn anything about trauma in medical school. Like if they have an hour or two, that's, you know, more than most. And when people go into uh, emergency, it's rare that they ask them, uh, even if they're in the middle of having a panic, panic attack, it's rare that they ask them if they have a lot of stress in their life crazy isn't it but that's why it's so important to be talking about this stuff you yes. know and as, and as parents of uh, teaching these skills and you know being more um, aware of what our kids might be feeling and asking them about it and well and recognizing that um when somebody has something like the the constriction in their chest going on uh, it's like we're tuning forks you walk past somebody who's feeling that and at some level you feel it in your own body. And if there's a family member that you're really close with, you feel it more, whether that's joy and aliveness or grief or, or just a fear or stress or, or whatever it might be. These things resonate through the body and you know, we need to talk about these things and acknowledge them. If we're going to do something healthy with them, they they need to be witnessed. They need to be acknowledged or they just run in the shadows, so to speak. And then they have a disproportionate um, influence on our life that leads us to be more reactive or just to shut down, freeze up or isolate or what have you. When you're working in an environment where someone cares enough to say, I'm noticing, you know, that you're just, you're not as bubbly as you normally are, or, you know, are you okay? Mm -hmm. Just that, that care and attention. Interesting. You talk about the firefighters not knowing one another because of course the fire culture is very community focused and based. And yet there's still that aspect that um, uh, they struggle with of just that sharing of that deep uh the reality that they've been impacted by something that if you're human it would be very difficult not to be impacted by yeah yeah i had somebody suggest to me the other day that i should talk with uh people that work in corrections because if you think about what's resonating in the traumatized bodies of those who are in, in prison and it's a trauma just to have your freedom taken away. 
that that's going to resonate through the corrections officers. And if people aren't aware of that, then that runs them. Mm -hmm. And then they generally don't act very nice. <laughs> generally, yeah. that's not yeah. true of, uh, of everybody. But, and then they take that home with them. Yes. You talked about the need to create healthy boundaries. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about why this is so important? Um, and maybe you could include an example. So anger is sometimes referred to as the guardian of our boundaries. So boundaries are like sort of like guidelines and you can tell a boundary has been crossed because usually you feel it in your body. And so if somebody uh, mistreats you or mistreats somebody or something that you care about, we usually feel it. Like somebody uh, threatens us in some way or, or somebody we care about, you feel your body start to mobilize like you want to do something. Mm -hmm. right? And it's usually wise if we pause for a moment, think this through mm -hmm. so that our response is, is wiser. Um, but that's true of whether it's a family member, uh, you know, saying something or somebody you know, which is the most often somebody closest to us, or, you know, whether it's somebody at work or, or a friend or, or less often a stranger, that, that we understand that our boundaries have been crossed. We're aware of the impact in our body and our thinking, and that we um, practice responding to that in a, in a way that's uh, intelligent and thought through and that maintains our dignity and the dignity of the other person. So we go through all of this, this stuff in, our, in, in the book, but also in our groups, et cetera, knowing the difference between being passive or manipulative or aggressive or assertive. And assertive being the one where the adult in us is in charge. Where we, you know, if we respond aggressively, it's like the little kid is having a temper tantrum. And if we do it manipulatively, then it's like the sneaky teenager trying to get away with stuff. But again, not not the adult. And the passive part is just trying to avoid the conflict altogether and make everybody happy, which is also the little kid. Whereas the adult thinks it through, responds in a way that's connected to their heart, their intelligence, uh, their their guts, their their intuition. So they're they're wise in their response to it. Um, but boundaries are are really important. And if you grew up like I did, you didn't learn about that growing up at all. So it takes a lot of figuring out because it's like our default is not to have healthy boundaries, or we can have healthy boundaries in one area but not in our intimate relationship or you know, what have you, where it can, we can be and look like an adult in one area, but not another. And that's, that's true across the board, including psychologists and everybody else, where there's an area of life where you're just not acting like the adult there. And this is not to shame anybody. It's like, this is being human. 
we're all human. We all make mistakes. But if we're able to acknowledge our mistakes and, you know, and, and look at them and sometimes consult with a guide or a counselor or what have you, then we can figure these things out. Like, there's no shame. We're not supposed to know everything, even if we grew up learning that, yeah, of course, you just pretend like you know everything. And now, 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 now we have Google, so we can go and try and do some research at least. But, um, yeah. Hey, you've talked a lot about shame. And, and I'd, I'd written in my notes about um, the, you're talking about the inner critic, the toxic shame spiral, and our shadow. Can you talk a little mm -hmm. bit about how these create problems for us as individuals and what we can be doing to counter these? And I suspect it's going to be the same as what you've been sharing, but is there anything else on these particular areas? So, so every emotion, we can do something healthy or unhealthy. Like I don't see there being negative emotions. They're, they're just data. So shame is the guardian of our integrity. When we step outside of integrity, we say something mean or do something neglectful, what have you, with somebody we care about, we usually feel bad. Usually right around the solar plexus, maybe in the heart, where it's like, oh, right? this is shame. And shame connects us potentially to our conscience, where we realize, okay, that doesn't feel right. That's not who I am. Sometimes I get that when somebody calls me, after just getting out of jail. They've never been in jail. They've never had a problem with the law, but somebody called 911, they lost it. And they're like, this is not me, but what's going on? So they feel this deep sense of shame, but they're facing it. They're making the phone call. They're deciding, I, this is, you know, it's motivating them to act with dignity, to repair the damage, to apologize, and to change their future. But there's always what we call healthy and toxic shame. The toxic shame is that part of us that wants to keep it a secret. That part of us that thinks if anybody finds out about this, nobody will ever have anything to do with me ever again. It'll be, you know, the end of the world. So for instance, uh, something bad happened to a guy when he was eight, for instance, and uh, somebody crossed a sexual boundary with him and he never spoke it out loud ever until he's well into his 40s, all sorts of addictions, all sorts of other things. And finally he says it out loud and that um, I, I couldn't have told my dad because... And, and I said, well, you imagine eight-year-old going to your dad and saying, hey, this guy did this to me. What would your dad have done? Oh, it would have been the end of the world. I said, no, really, think it through. What would your dad have done? He goes, actually, I don't think he would have done anything terrible. And it's interesting, but at that eight-year-old convinced mm -hmm. himself that it was the end of the world and that he could never tell anybody. So the toxic shame means he beats himself up, feels ashamed of himself because it's not even, it wasn't his fault, but he feels like this is, he's a, a, a broken 
uh, unwanted, unworthy, abject failure of a person now. And as long as he keeps that inside and never lets it out, he can't gain perspective. And then this runs his life from the shadows. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because it's unseen. Once he starts to face it and and address it and look at it, it's like, oh, and it changes perspective. And he can have compassion for that eight-year-old who thought it who thought he couldn't speak up. And so that's part of the healing. Uh, we all have both of these in us, but when we're in the toxic shame, it feels like we're the only one. It feels like I can't ever let anybody know. And everybody else looks like they've got it together except for me. And so it's like this little kid just keeps on running us. And it's like we, we're just spinning our tires and our body because this trauma stays in us. And there were other things that happened to him, I'm sure. Um, it's like the body feels like uh, it's at the edge of fight or flight all the time. And so then the person becomes much more reactive mm-hmm. and it's much harder to stay connected to their heart, their head. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes I get these big tough guys, uh, you know, sent from work or just they come on their own and they're these big muscular tough guys. And eventually after a couple of sessions, I'll, I'll say something like, well, you're actually pretty sensitive, aren't you? And he's like, looks around, goes, yeah, uh, yeah, that's true, but you know, don't let anybody know. <laughs> and, and it's like they felt like that sensitivity was uh, part of them being a failure, rather than it actually being a gift where they can connect with people. And so then, if they can face this and become aware of this then they can use it for connection rather than pushing everybody away. And sometimes that, that sensitivity came because things were uh, feeling unsafe at home and they were so sensitive that they could hear their parent driving up the street and pulling into the driveway and they could tell by how the car was being driven what mood the parent was going to be in and whether it was safe to stay there or not and so this sensitivity can become something amazing for them or be this terrible thing in their life where they just react to everything because their body feels like it's in danger and when people heal from that then they can actually develop amazing relationships with people because they can have compassion for where other people are at and they're more self-aware. So when they feel that rising up, they can stop, they can breathe, they can do whatever they need to do to soothe themselves in that moment so that doesn't run them without judgment, right? It's like, oh, here's this again. I need to breathe really deep and slow through my nose, deep into my abdomen, put my feet on the ground. And, and there's many different things we can do that ground ourselves. It's not like healing means that we're like 
perfectly chill all the time, right? That's not human. We still have things in us. It's just that we're run by them less often than we have more awareness about what to do with them. Sounds really important too that that individuals reach out to someone like you who has expertise and training in in being there because as you say, you know, it's the stuff remains within us. It's about how we manage it better and working with someone to help on that journey. Um, and there and there's there's you know, lots of there's lots of great books out there um, on these topics and figuring out, you know, exercise can help a lot. Uh, meditation, taking good care of yourself, uh, you know, eating healthy, cutting back or having reasonable amounts of alcohol or, or um, caffeine or things like that. I mean, all those things Im impact us. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if people are open to it and they can, um, they have access to a, a skilled therapist who knows about these things, because lots don't, mm -hmm. um, that can be helpful. But I think it's important that there, there's lots of different things people can do about it. I mean, seeing a therapist can be an integral part of healing, um, but there's lots of other stuff people can do too. I'm going to, I was going to ask you about your books a little bit later on the podcast, but why don't we do that right now? You've got two, sure. you've got two books. Uh, one, Lose Your Temper, A Conscience, Exploration of Anger, and the other, Healing Anger, Transforming Anger into Growth. You wanted to say a couple of, a little bit, a little oh, bit about what those are about? So the Lose Your Temper book is geared more toward men and the, uh, the, Healing anger is more the for women, okay. and and I mean both of them are helpful for any gender, mm -hmm. but um, basically they have all the words because for you know decades I've asked all these questions to men and and to to women although I don't run the women's group anymore or co-facilitate it rather. Um, but we asked all these questions, so you see all the answers that typically came up um, when talking about shame or communication or uh, what a destructive response to anger is like and what a constructive response to anger is like. So you get all these words and many of the stories from people that have attended our groups or done counseling with us that have given us permission to share their stories. And... Um, and it just gives a real foundation around anger and trauma and and, um, and lots of different tools about what to do with it, including breathing exercises and meditation and uh, just understanding the physiology around all of it. So but those are uh, available on your website? They are available through the website. Yeah. Yeah. Angerman.online and healinganger.ca. Okay, and I'll make so, sure that these are on the show notes for the podcast. Um, in the interview with Michael Gregory, uh, you also talked about the challenge of working with individuals who trigger easily. Um, any thoughts on how to make situations better for those working with people who trigger easily? Uh, I know I've been there and it, it's a challenge, particularly in a work environment. Well, it, it helps if you can talk with them about what their triggers are 
if they're not able to talk about the triggers, if that triggers them too much to talk about the triggers, then it makes it pretty difficult. I mean, certainly some people just end up learning to work, you know, separate from everybody else, but that's not a long-term solution typically. And whatever the triggers are, I mean, that's, that's where the answers lay for the person. If, if they're willing to uh, look into those triggers and own their response, then there's lots to learn. And um, that's a, that's that the change. Part of them probably doesn't want to look at the trigger, and part of them, you know, wants to change course. Want, doesn't want to be because it ends up feeling you know, like it's anxiety producing when you know there's going to be triggers, and you're going into a place where you know you're going to be triggered because that leaves us feeling out of control mm. and reacting childishly. And so often when people come back from uh, doing anger management with us, when they're sent from the workplace, the, the feedback we get from HR or their supervisor is that they end up acting with more maturity and less reactivity, but they have to be able to face what happens in them when they get triggered and, and learn where that came from. There's usually a whole story behind it. As, as you say, those conversations are really critical. Uh, if you're mm -hmm. somebody who's overseeing somebody who is triggering easily to have those conversations and to encourage that, um, that the digging deeper and seeing the tools that are available to react. Yeah, if, if the supervisor can use curiosity and non-judgment, Mm. I'm talking about the triggers and just, I noticed when this happens, you have a really strong response. And can you tell me about that? What, what, what goes on there? And what, what do you think now when we, when you reflect upon that? Is there something to be learned from that? Is there some way we can help you with that? So that you're, facing it, but you're on the same team and, and you're not, because the prob person probably already feels shame. Mm -hmm. But if we can be gentle in the way we step into it, then it may lead to a powerful change. Where if we're old school, like, what the hell's wrong with you? <laughs> it's like, not going to probably lead in a good direction. Think with heart. With mm. compassion and, as you say, curiosity. I love that word. And you've talked about how people are often angry at themselves, that, that some of this anger can be beneficial. And, uh, you know, as I read that, I remember banging out some pretty um, energetic laps in a pool after a trying day. Um, <laughs> so my body got a better workout. Um, yeah, we have to remember as we're talking about anger that some of it can be beneficial and we can use it productively. and. And I'm sure that's what you're also teaching um, in the work that you do with your clients. Yeah, and and so what people do with their anger, their stress, their anxiety is it's important that we get to know what that feels like in our body and, and what we can do because for one person, they end up 
doing some kind of martial arts or what have you, and that helps them. For another person, walking can help, or swimming, or meditation, or uh, getting out into nature every day. One of the things I, I try to do. And, uh, and this is just part of getting to know ourselves, what we need to do. Right after talking with a particularly uh, stressed out, anxious individual on the phone who calls us looking for help, sometimes I'll just I'll just go, oh, I can feel that in my body, and I just need to shake my hands a little bit. And he's like, I got to get out for a bit of a a, a walk here and, and leave that on the trail or run or uh, because I know these things are end up. Being stored in our body, or I need to, you know, move it through me somehow so that I'm not carrying it into the next uh, uh, conversation. And and sometimes that's just splashing cold water on your face and washing your face, or having a a cold glass of water can help. Um, music, uh, juggling, whatever it might be, right? Yeah. It's something that, that can help us move through and just it's knowing yourself what you need. I'm really glad that you raised that because we, we don't often think about when you're the recipient of heavy emotions, you know, and I, I'm mm -hmm. this podcast is being listened to by HR practitioners and people who oversee people and you deal a lot with, with difficult situations. And I don't think we make the time to recognize the impact that can have on us and, you know, on what we, especially when you're sensitive yourself, um, mm. when you actually wear and, you know, are we recognizing what we could be bringing into the next person that we, uh, we end up speaking with um, or to what we bring home to our families at the end of the day. Um, I remember this fabulous keynote speaker saying, would you ever bring the person that you dislike the most home to dinner with you or to bed with you and not sexually, but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, no. And it's like, but you do that every time you can't let your day go when that's all that you can have as a conversation at the dinner table or, or, you know, you, you toss and turn uh, because you, you can't let, let things go. So taking that reflective time, as you say, knowing yourself and knowing uh, how you can just, let some of that stuff go is is really important. Self care, the old oxygen mask, but we forget yeah. we've got to take care of ourselves first. So uh, thank you. That was a really good point. You and your team do phenomenal work. Um, I just was so grateful for you coming in and and helping in the situation that we started the podcast out with. Uh, I know I've shared your contact information with many practitioners over the years. Um, and I think for most of us, we don't want to share a resource unless we know that that resource is going to work and that because uh, it's, it's our own reputations on the line as well. Mm -hmm. So you've actually got 10 people now working with you. So you've grown. Yeah, including myself and my wife. Yourself, yeah. yeah. Um, and you do counseling for trauma, anxiety, parenting, you counsel employees, you do training and workshops, do depression counseling. Or anger management, which we've talked about. You do it with groups, individuals, couples. You also do eye movement desens desensi 
digitization. Wow, that's a <laughs> and reprocessing. Uh, maybe we can yeah. talk a little bit about what that is in a second. And your website, which again, I really encourage our listeners to go to, contains a ton of information, uh, educational videos, lots of testimonials, and a number of podcast links. I'm going to go to the podcast in a minute. Let's go back to that EMDR. What is that? It is uh, specifically um, training a couple of our counselors have to work with trauma. And, and I'm not trained in that. But uh, EMDR is a, um, a, a type of counseling that involves, uh, you know, eye movement, desensitization, and what's the R? I, anyway, um, okay. <laughs> but it's uh, some people, it makes all the difference in the world. And some people, it, it's, That's another it doesn't tool. work, but it's a, a tool that, that some people find really invaluable. Wonderful. I, I was curious and I meant to look it up before we, we started the podcast. So you've got a podcast link. Is the dad work better man, better partner, better father? Um, is that your podcast or is that one that you were a guest on? I was a guest on. Okay. Um, and a little bit about that. That sounded like a really interesting one. I didn't get a chance to listen yeah, to. Yeah, just... Just, you know, talking with this guy about being a dad and anger and um, how how important it is, again, to develop memories that we want to develop with, create with our, with our kids. Um, but being the father that feels right for you and taking the time to really connect with uh, the father, you know, that you can look back on and, and recognize that most of what you did was in alignment true to who you are and uh then it the impact however you respond to your kids is going to have a long-term impact and the more you feel yourself the more you know i think we um honor the pain in our life but it, even in past generations and we you know help heal future generations then we can help our kids if we see those things in them when, as they grow up, if we've dealt with it within ourselves. That makes a lot of sense. And that sounds like an excellent podcast. It's uh, There's a link there on your website. If anyone's there's lo loads of podcasts there. Yep, yep. Sounds good. Now, you also offer workshops on subjects including team building, turning conflict into growth, anger management in the workplace, compassion fatigue, Triggers in the workplace, multicultural environment, resolving conflict in the workplace, towards a trauma-informed culture, stress management, communication skills, mindfulness in the workplace, and nervous system regulation in the workplace. Mm -hmm. So lots, lots is there, and people can reach out and learn more of those from you. Compassion fatigue, uh, that one, that one caught my attention as much of, but maybe just a little bit. Yeah, well, when people um, are too caring, you know, are more caring towards others than they are themselves. And so we can be compassionate in a healthy way, or we can be compassionate in a way that, that drains our own resources to the point where we get burnt out and start hating everybody. <laughs> Counterproductive. We're seeing a whole lot of overwhelm, I think, particularly in our healthcare industry, 
Uh, yes. So I suspect that would be good, a good workshop for uh, for them to be taking a look at. Um, do you see organizations starting to be a little bit more proactive around around this kind of stuff? Because um, it's obviously oh. things that we could get all of us get better at. So some organizations have sent people to us for years and now more of their members or employees request to come and see us. So that the workshops, are you starting to see organizations recognizing that we could, you know, because with every individual who comes back with your magic, you know, and, and their own magic and, and dealing with this stuff better, then it, it obviously sends very positive ripple effects through the organization. So um, I guess my hope <laughs> is mm -hmm. that, you know, instead of just training one at a time when there's a crisis situation that that um, our organizations are, are, yeah. are starting to be proactive and recognizing that um, this is something that particularly people who are overseeing people uh, could learn how to do better. Well, we're we're hoping that more organizations uh, do more of that ourselves as well. So, okay. yeah. so I'm putting I'm putting a plug in for you because uh, I'm Thank sure you so your workshops yeah. are as excellent as your individual work with individuals. Um, any last tips as we're starting to bring the podcast to a close? We've talked a lot about a whole bunch of different areas. Yeah. Well, my. My tip is to turn towards the things that you have avoided, the uncomfortable things, that those things run our lives. And if you can turn toward those things and write about them and eventually talk with somebody about them, then they, they will stop having as much power. You become less reactive and more intentional. And, um, and that has a positive impact. And everybody in your life from close family members to, you know, people that you work with and, and beyond. So, yeah. And if somebody's not comfortable doing individual work, um, you do have a number of groups that. Uh, we start groups all the time and people love them. If they can get into the first session and they recognize, oh, this is just a bunch of normal guys or, or women. And and, and there's a sense of relief. It's like, oh, good to know that I'm not the only one. So yeah. that's an option for people to take a look at. And I also noticed that you have a free 15 minute call with either you or one of your team members. Uh, the number is 604-723-5134. You're based in the lower mainland, I believe. So uh, that would be. Yes. Um, Although we work with people all over the world. So, but that's the 604 is an area code for the local yes. lower mainland. So it may be a long yep. distance call if you're not on the lower uh, mainland. I, I usually answer the phone. So there you go. Okay. What would somebody expect to learn on such a call? And uh, the, could this be someone overseeing a team who needs uh, needs to talk to you? Sure. Um, I mean, what whatever their needs are, we can, you know, and generally I just talk about what what can happen now whether it's a uh, uh, somebody in hr or a supervisor or a team leader or somebody who's just want, wants to work on their own stuff you know what are the different options available to you and and um, i can often 
uh, direct people toward a video that shows some of the work that we do, or they can download uh, part of the book for free uh, from the website and, and really get more of a sense of things by listening to some of the podcasts that we have links to on our website, uh, among other things. So, yeah, just so they know what's available. Wonderful. Um, it's, uh, well, and I can't say enough good things about um, the work that you do. So I will ensure that uh, all of that information is on the podcast show notes if people are awesome. to, to reach out to you. Um, just a huge thank you to you for making the time to be on the podcast today and to share um, a little bit about the work that you and your team do. Um, I'm so glad you reached out to say hi and reconnect overall. It's been a number of years. So boy, synchronicity. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. not the synchronicity of the call, but just that you said yes. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure speaking with you and I value your your experience in, in HR and your uh, yeah, your willingness just to, to have the conversation. So thank you. Thank you. I think this is such important stuff, you know, and, and, individually to getting to know ourselves better and um and i know it's difficult to do this stuff alone so just really glad that, that you're out there it is time for us to bring the podcast to a close yes. oh <laughs> there's the ding um thank you for joining us today thank you for our listeners uh remember dare to soar because we believe you can thanks again alistair yeah thank you susan appreciate it Take care, everyone. Bye for now. Well, we've reached our destination for today. Time to lower those wheels and prepare for landing. Thank you for joining me. If I said something that resonated with you, please subscribe to the podcast and to share it with others. It would be awesome if you also took the time to provide a review or whatever your favorite social media sites are. If you have a question or an area that you hope I'll cover in a future session, please send me a note either to my website, www.effectingchangefromwithin.com or to my email, susangene at gmail.com. I look forward to our next time together. In the meantime, soar high. I believe you can. Susan signing off. Thanks again for joining me.